So imagine when you put your child to sleep, imagine every night that they could die if they are not connected to a mechanical ventilator to help them. That's Nisha Morris. And when her daughter Natasha was born, Nisha faced the scary realization that her daughter was sick, very sick. They hadn't planned for this because really, who does? Our daughter Natasha has a very rare genetic medical condition called congenital central hypoventilation syndrome. It's pretty rare. There's only about a thousand in the whole world. So we're part of that elite thousand group. But um, it's a condition where she stops breathing when she sleeps. Nisha and her husband Randy both have good jobs and they have health insurance. But because of Natasha's condition, they quickly learned that their employer-provided insurance wasn't enough to keep their baby daughter alive. Randy and I have been very blessed with just a really great life. We both work really hard. We're both highly educated. Even though we pay premiums and we pay our health insurance, we just, we just found ourselves being very vulnerable and there was no way we can afford her medical care. So we rely on Medi-Cal, which is a California version of Medicaid. We rely on them for in-home support services, which is our nursing, and we rely on them for our durable medical equipment, which is her ventilator and her oxygen and all the equipment that we need to keep her alive. Nisha and Randy never thought they'd need the extra help Medicaid provides them. They're not alone. Lots of people don't know how Medicaid has provided a lifeline that otherwise wouldn't be possible. I'm David Himmel, former editor of Chicago Health Magazine. We're going to look at just how important Medicaid is during this special episode of Pulse Check at Work, a branded episode from our sponsor, Providence St. Joseph Health. And we're going to talk to some healthcare leaders who are starting a movement to look at each patient as a whole person, not just a number on a chart. Any special needs family will tell you that the only thing that they want is to be normal. They don't want special treatment. And when I see my daughter fit in and play with her friends and, and do everything that a nine-year-old should be doing, that gives me the most happiness. And I know that it's because we have Medicaid, because without it, we could not give her this life. Millions of our citizens do not now have a full measure of opportunity to achieve and to enjoy good health. When President Lyndon Johnson signed Medicaid into law back in 1965 as part of the Social Security Act, he couldn't have predicted the Morris's exact situation. But he knew families were in need and would be in need. Millions do not now have protection or security against the economic effects of sickness. Medicaid began as one weapon in the war on poverty. And the time has now arrived for action to help them attain that opportunity and to help them get that protection. Medicaid is the largest insurance provider in the country. Jointly funded by states and the federal government, more than 74 million people are enrolled in Medicaid right now. That's one out of every five Americans. And Medicaid covers nearly half of all births in the U.S. All of that might surprise you. But here's something else you might not know. Medicaid touches more than half of the U.S. population. Half of us either use it, have been covered by it, or someone we know benefits from it. 
according to a national survey conducted by Providence St. Joseph Health. Medicaid has lots of faces. Children, the elderly, low-income families, veterans, people being treated for opioid addiction, hardworking Americans trying to get back on their feet. These are our most vulnerable citizens. The Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as some call it, expanded Medicaid. But recently, Congress has made attempts to repeal it. And that puts Medicaid's vulnerable patients in danger. For people like Rod Hockman, that's not acceptable. We felt it was a crisis. And, and overall, we felt that, you know, the one thing that the Affordable Care Act did was it opened up access for people that didn't have care before in really being able to expand the Medicaid program, particularly in the states that we serve. And we saw the frontline effects of what access to care could mean for people. We felt it was critical for us to mobilize ourselves and to mobilize our constituents to really fight against this. Rod is the CEO of Providence St. Joseph Health, a not-for-profit health and social service system operating in seven western states. They operate with the belief that health care is a human right, and their mission is to serve everyone. And, you know, the statistics speak for themselves. Seventy percent of the seniors that are in nursing homes are covered by the Medicaid program. So these are critical. These are programs that take care of people that we know and really preserve access. So we felt it was critical to take a stance. So in in your opinion, what are Medicaid's most crucial pain points that that need to be addressed immediately before we can move on to solve the larger health care system issues? So I, I'd say, you know, if we, you know we, we kind of break, so if we think about Medicaid, we need to make it accessible. And we got to make sure that we're not putting barriers between people and their health care. So I am not a proponent of, you know, work rules, all these other things that are being put in place that if you're off the rolls in Medicaid, you know, in certain states, you can't get back on for six months. So I think a lot of these things are making it more complicated and on, almost administratively are trying to discourage people from accessing this benefit. Then at the same time, we've got to make sure that the services that people receive while they're on Medicaid are the right ones and the ones that make sense. So we as an organization have been working really hard on providing other access points for Medicaid patients other than having to get care in an emergency room. That's not a great place for you to get most of your care. So you touched on this a bit, and I'm I'm wondering, and maybe you can't really answer this question in full, but I want to put it out there. Uh, If we really look at the the nitty-gritty down in in the trenches, Uh, dirt under the fingernails. What does the process of improving Medicaid look like? Well, we've discovered that in Medicaid, it's not just what happens in the clinic or an emergency room or in the hospital, but it's, it's getting outside the four walls. So many of the things as we, you know, term it the social determinants of health, so much influence what your health status is. So what we're finding is that as healthcare providers, we have to help with those. So, you know, if you don't have somewhere to live uh, and if you're not getting good nutrition, guess what's going to happen to your health? So what we're also striving for is that we have to, as healthcare providers, be accountable for more of the full dollar for the Medicaid 
patient that we get reimbursed so that we're not just getting reimbursed when there's a problem, but we're really getting reimbursed for the preventive side of it. So when we got to roll up our sleeves, get the dirt under the fingernails, we got to get at those issues. That's the only way we're going to move the dial on uh, improving uh, Medicaid. What does American healthcare look like with an improved Medicaid system? Well, gosh, you know, we're going to have more productive workers, more folks that are uh, losing less time from work, uh, on and on and on. You know, the, the downstream benefits of great health is, it, whether it's a Medicaid population, whether it's just regular old commercial insurance, or it's Medicaid, are profound for the country. You know, need I, need I point out the opioid epidemic that we're facing. If we equated that to what the drag, if you were an economist, on what the drag is on that for the American economy, uh, it's, it's in probably in the billions and trillions of dollars uh, in terms of what it is. So it is such an important point that the United States be uh, the healthiest nation it could be. Medicaid is expensive, right? Like it's a huge budget federally and and for the states. Uh, and I know that one of the you know arguments against it is that it costs a lot of money. But yet, if we're funding it and it's working the right way, the economy benefits from it. Can you just real quickly explain that uh, in layman terms? Sure. I, I think what people miss, you know, we talk about the expense of health insurance and the Medicaid program. You know, if you talk to our police departments, you talk to our emergency rooms, of the amount of effort that they have to put in because problems are not being solved from a health standpoint. And just from the economics of that, it has a tremendous output. I think what we're going to see is, you know, uh, a higher burden uh, on social services, on, on other things, because ultimately, People are going to end up having to get services. They're going to end up in the emergency rooms. They're going to be sicker. They're going to be in more dire straits. When people don't get care, it really affects all of us. If people can't get care, that means our emergency rooms are going to be full because there's nowhere else to go. And that means for those of us who have insurance and everything else, there may not be room for you in that emergency room or that hospital. This isn't just isolated, I've got my insurance, I'm all set. These are consequences that we have for our whole community. Let's talk about uh, PSJH's model of population health and whole person care. So how does that, that model of population health and whole person care serve as a unique solution for addressing the needs of the Medicaid population? Sure, you know, we've done, spent a lot of time uh, county by county, state by state, community by community, looking at what the needs are, particularly of the Medicaid population, and understanding what those differences are. And our population health division is the one that's really leading the charge there. Uh, we've got an incredible executive leading that, uh, Rhonda Meadows, Dr. Meadows, Mayo Clinic physician, uh, who uh, herself grew up on Medicaid. I mean, what better person to understand how important this program is? This is a special branded episode from Providence St. Joseph Health, our sponsor. Dr. Rhonda Meadows grew up as one of six kids in 1960s Brooklyn, New York. 
Both her parents worked, and although they didn't have a lot of resources, they were happy and they got by just fine. However, Rhonda says that she presented her parents with a new challenge. I was sick early on um, with illnesses like uh, tuberculosis, lead poisoning um, from eating lead-based paint in low-income project housing, and I had asthma. As much as my parents tried to, uh, to make sure that they took care of their own, so to speak, um, and covered my medical expenses, it became a time when they could not do it. When I was in the hospital too often and my medications um, were too costly. And so they had to relent, at least for a short time, by enrolling me in the Medicaid program and allowing that to help pay for some of my hospital costs. That actually is probably what saved my life. Otherwise, I don't know that we would have had the resources to do that. What would that have meant if, if Medicaid hadn't been there for you? I wouldn't be here talking with you today. Rhonda is president of Population Health at Providence St. Joseph Health. Her team focuses on improving overall health outcomes for every population, in particular, the most vulnerable. She's the perfect person to understand how important social factors are when it comes to a person's health. When we talk about whole person care, we look at the whole person, not just the, the body of that person, but their spirit as well as their mental health so that we're looking at a complex person who was not, again, just an individual, but somebody who's part of a family and a community. So what we do is actually use the information that we have been gathering, uh, whether it's clinical information, social determinant information, community health information, uh, claims information, pharmacy, anything that we have um, that we actually can actually pull together and create an integrated profile or view of people in populations and then use that information to inform how we can intervene and support and provide services. So anything from helping them to arrange for transportation, to arranging appointments, to having someone do home care, um, to social services that do everything from address homelessness, uh, everything from the need for utilities, particularly in the winter or very hot summers, all of those things come into play. Rhonda's experience in recognizing the need for a more holistic approach to caring for people only grew as she got older. As a physician, she recognized that more needed to be done if she was going to successfully care for her patients. So in, in your experience as a physician, was there an aha moment that made you realize how imperative this approach to care was? I trained as a family physician, and I thought when I was a young hotshot doctor, that I knew the best way to approach a patient and their family. For example, I had a gentleman who um, was one of my original patients when I practiced at Mayo Clinic, who I spent an enormous amount of time with trying to help him get his blood pressure under control, only to find out that each time that he came in to see me, and he came in on a regular basis, that when I was giving him the medication, and I, each time I found that his blood pressure wasn't well controlled, I would adjust it, and I just happened to ask the question about whether or not he was taking the medication a different way. He pulled out his wallet, and he had all of my written prescriptions neatly folded in his wallet. 
He couldn't get to the pharmacy, is what he told me, and he couldn't afford the copays on the medication. We got him the medication that he needed, and then once we got his blood pressure controlled, we actually arranged for him to get 90 days supply of medication delivered to his assisted living facility so that he wouldn't have to worry about going to a pharmacy. We talked about his diet, we talked about whether or not he felt safe. We readdressed all those things that I thought I understood about him, but really required me to actually look at him as a whole person and understand where he had struggles. So it sounds like Providence St. Joseph Health is really going above and beyond what is normally done to treat patients here. So what are the other innovative ways that Providence St. Joseph Health is working with community partners to address uh, some of these, these social determinants of good health? What we found is that when we added together the information that we have on a patient's clinical history, what's in their medical record, we had a, a better view of the patient's health care um, and their access. But what we were missing were some of the additional information that was readily available to us but needed to be integrated in. So typically a, a physician or a healthcare professional when they're working with individual patients and their families will can already ask the questions about uh, smoking, alcohol use, uh, whether or not there are any concerns about safety in the home, domestic violence. Um, they can ask about mental health issues, whether or not they've recently been treated, past history, and they can ask all those questions. What we did was add that information, the clinical information, the claims information, and then enhanced it further by incorporating in what we understood about the social economic conditions in the communities where our patients lived. What we've done is taken that information, put it into a proprietary platform that we call Community Pathways to Health, and then made that information available, not just to the physician, but to the patient's full care team. So each, each community and the families in those communities are different. So how sustainable are these community partner connections that, that you're discussing? Uh, like, can processes like this be implemented in all communities at all care facilities? And if, they, if, if so, what is required for that implementation to take place? And are there roadblocks? What are the roadblocks? There have been community agencies, services, governmental, some nonprofit, some church-based, whatever, that have already been out there trying to do this hard work. Um, what we have figured out is that we don't need to build things anew or build them from scratch. We need to be a better partner. So what we've been trying to do is through our community health improvement program is within each of our communities identifying a top community health need, identifying community partners to work with, and then formalizing that arrangement. So how does that fit into, or, you know, how, how would that fit into the overall Medicaid American health care system? You know, Medicaid programs in, in every state are run a little bit differently, but there's a, there's a common thread, and that is uh, the strength of the people who provide the services in Medicaid for a very uh, needy and vulnerable population. The approach that we're talking about is actually probably better resourced because of the, uh, the community pathways to health, being able to anticipate a wide variety of needs for a whole person approach. 
Um, but if you go to the different states, go into the community where Medicaid programs have been in place since at least 1965 or 1966, you will see that there have been people trying to provide similar services, but they may not have done it in the as well as connected way as, as we're doing right now. Providence and Joseph Health extends from Alaska all the way down to Texas and New Mexico. Um, it provides services in seven states. Each state is made up of a multitude of communities. But now those are very different. I mean, Alaska and New Mexico, are, you know, everything in between, that's, that's very, very different. Those Very th different. Um, but you know, the one thing that we have in common in all those states is people helping people, right? Um, so when we have to address um, homelessness in Alaska, they actually already have had for quite some time partnerships with Catholic charities and with other entities to actually provide um, housing, both temporary and longer term, for the vulnerable folks in Alaska. And that's, that's a big part of it, too. It's not just that, you know, we're going to take care of them forever, but it's also helping them... To connect. And as we said before, it's, and it's not something that Providence needs to build new. We need to work with entities, with organizations that have been doing the work, but perhaps need more resources, they need support, they need funding, and they need to have a direct connection with us. We're a very large health system, so we have doctors, nurses, hospitals, uh, clinics, rehab folks. So we are working on streamlining our own communication within Providence, um, having a shared electronic medical record, and now having a shared community pathway um, system that allows us to see the whole person. Where we can, we have community connections, which is a partnership with other providers of care who have access to that same information, providing that they are also providing care um, in a HIPAA-compliant way. For the community partners, we figure out again, as we work with patients, what's available in their community and how to connect them formally, right? Um, and so it used to be everything was send the patient a letter, do a phone call, we can do text, email. I mean, we, we, are, we have a way of connecting people, just like you do with anything else. Um, in a way that actually is more meaningful and more timely for them. How would you then, if, if one of the issues in the community is that you're dealing with a food desert or yep. the low-income housing is really bad low-income housing, yep. uh, you know, how do you, boots on the ground, work to fix that? Because it's something, you know, you're not the mayor, you're not the alder, you know, the alderman. Like, how do so you fix how, how, yeah. how do you do that? So, David... Depending on the community, we have some communities, and let's just let's use housing as a, as a great example because that's probably one of the ones where I think most people would not ordinarily think that we would be engaged, but we are. We already have at least 20 different supportive housing units in Washington, Oregon, and California where we own the housing unit and we put um, fragile seniors, um, low-income seniors, elders, the people who are disabled in them. That is where they live and then we can bring care to them in those sites. Um, so that's one where we actually provide the facility, the resources, and the care for them. And this is separate and in addition to nursing homes, hospice, rehab facilities that we also run. Um, for partnerships in the community, we actually do things like fund modular housing in Seattle. We actually do things like um, form partnerships with motels that have low occupancy rates for short-term housing for folks. We need to do more of it, and we need to do more of it with more partners, 
but we do do that already. Providence St. Joseph Health is doing a lot more than just considering how to best serve the diverse Medicaid communities in the West. They're also taking steps to expand their services in every state. Each community is diverse, yes, but what Rod and Rhonda have found is that what works in California can be applicable in Illinois or New Hampshire, too. So whether it's a vulnerable Medicaid community in the northwestern states or the southeastern states, what matters most is understanding the critical needs of that community. From there, the approach is the same. Provide help where people need it. Fill in the gaps so no one falls through. If Medicaid is changed or eliminated, what will become of the children like you, you know, the families like yours? What, what is at stake in this debate? What is at stake are human lives, pain and suffering that could have been avoided. So children who needed to have services earlier in their life, beginning in infancy, remember that all that half of all pregnancies of newborns are covered by Medicaid. We're talking about half of all newborns in the country not having that care, not having those services, right? That's what that means. It means that all the people who are in the nursing homes, if 75% of the people in nursing homes have their care covered by Medicaid, no longer have it, we're talking about low-income seniors and the disabled who no longer have that care paid for. Where will those people go? Who will provide them services? And what happens in their, to them in their old age? Military veterans who serve the country, who have come back, who have suffered disability and illnesses, what happens to them outside the walls of veterans' hospitals and military health? What happens to them in their long-term care? People who have mental illnesses, mental addictions, etc. all of those things, what happens to all those people? Because we're talking about taking away services, access to care, ongoing care, and probably really um, a crying shame, the prevention of pain, suffering, morbidity, and mortality that we know we could have stopped. We, we could have prevented it. Medicaid isn't a perfect program. And even with improvements, it's not going to be the ultimate solution to making America's healthcare system the most effective in the world. But it is a really important part of the solution. Because that solution, the one Providence St. Joseph Health is championing, is looking at a healthy population as a whole it's not separating out those who are and are not sick, but it's looking at the opportunities we have to help improve the overall and ongoing wellness of all communities. This special episode of Pulse Check at Work is brand content paid for by Providence St. Joseph Health and produced in conjunction with Politico's brand studio, Political Focus. Politico's editorial team was not involved in the production of this episode.